gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to another Fuds on Film podcast. My name is Scott Morris. Joining me today, we have Drew Tavendale. Hello. And Craig Eastman. Be road in everything you do. I concur wholeheartedly. So today, we're going to take a bit of a look down at some of our favourite, least favourite, otherwise noteworthy films of 2018. So I guess we'll get on with that. So I guess we'll start by tearing into a review of 2018. Now, not exactly sure the best way to do this. We'll probably just go around and pick one each until we've exhausted our uh, favourite lists. But I mean, I think there may well be one film that is head and shoulders above everything else. Is that does that sound legit? Or you're uh, that depends upon what you're going to say because not I'd... head and shoulders. But um, I, the one that is probably my favourite of the year is certainly extremely good, and I think it may be the one we all share. Okay. Well, thinking back over the last year, there was one film that we all seemed to be in pretty much unanimous agreement on was really great was Coco. Yeah. So I don't know if that's thinking. Okay. Cool. Cool. It's not what I was going to pick, but I've I've only got two that I want to nominate tonight, and it's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're not going to go into huge depth about any of these films because I think for the most part we'll have spoken about all of them. Uh, But yeah, Coco. The Pixar outing from very early in the year for us, and I think probably 2017 for American listeners, if I remember correctly. Um, because Disney are resource strained and can't make enough <laughs> digital prints to go around for the whole world until they get a few more Star Wars films out. They just don't have. They just don't have the solvency. Yes, they, they don't have enough internet bandwidth to send the digital files to the cinemas anymore. It's a very strange thing, and it must be a deliberate choice on Pixar's point because it's not been a relevant technical constraint in years, but they still keep doing it yeah, in many, in many a, cases we we get films a, a couple of days ahead of the US or even a couple of the Marvel films I think have come a couple of yes. weeks ahead so yeah. yeah I don't understand what's going on with Pixar at all Yes, uh, very strange, but that aside, an incredibly beautiful film. Absolutely gorgeous to look at and very touching and very heartfelt. And I thought it was a, a really great film. I very much enjoyed it. If you like umber as a colour, this is the film for you. <laughs> um, you know, uh, in all seriousness, Coco uh, threw me a bit of a curveball. I think we spoke about it anyway, didn't we, at, at some length in a previous podcast. Uh, I wasn't necessarily on board for maybe the first half hour, 45 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was slightly checked out. And then in the second hour, um, I was just knocked sideways by the film and was completely broadsided by the emotional experience of the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I I am of a mind where I might suggest that this is the best, uh, or certainly, I don't know if you can say that objectively, I would say this is my favourite of Pixar's movies to date. I'm not sure whether I could put this above Toy Story 3 or not. Um, Certainly the the emotional climax of both is pretty compelling, but I'm not sure why I particularly need to choose one or the other, but it's certainly up there. Mm. I know all three of us are not as enamoured of Pixar not as um, unquestioning of their quality as many other people are but their highs are very high Mm. this is certainly up there Absolutely, you raise the spectre of Toy Story 3 I might just as an aside point out that today my five year old daughter had her last day of term before Christmas in school and as part of that, they watched a movie. And I asked her when she got home tonight, what, what movie did you watch? Oh, Toy Story 3, Dad. 
uh, and I thought, okay, because I, I, my, my daughter traditionally has, has uh, is no fan of fire. She watched one of the Land Before Time movies a while back, and she's now greatly afeard of fire, lava in particular, and volcanoes. But then I immediately recalled, <laughs> I immediately recalled that scene towards the end of Toy Story Three, where I, as a grown adult, was in floods of tears <laughs> at what seemed like the inevitability of the end of the franchise. <laughs> and I, and I said to her. In all her five-year-old fragility, and how did what did you think of the movie, darling? Was there anything that scared you? No. <laughs> Was there anything that upset you as a small child? No. Did you like it? Yeah. Did you get upset? No. Okay, just me then. <laughs> the best of us. No, and just what you were saying about Coco Craig, I agree with that too. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I was on board mostly from the start. Yeah, it's beautiful, it's touching, it's so colourful. The Mexican folk stuff is really interesting. And even just, I'm not massively fond of most Disney or Disney adjacent music. Mm. The occasional thing, like some of the original songs from Aladdin aside, that sort of thing, or the Jungle Book. But that Remember Me song, I just, I choke up when I hear it. Oh Jesus! The thing, the thing about this movie is now, in, in retrospect, with the best part of a year behind us since we um, since we spoke about it, um, I, I watched it <laughs> several times on a recent recent ferry crossing to uh, <laughs> to Dublin. And what strikes me most about it is, and I think the film's greatest achievement is that in tackling head on the topic, essentially of death it it proves that it need not be something to be afraid of and that there is a great deal of you know in, in a very sort of strange sense there is a great deal of life and joy that might surround that in the celebration of other people and and the central tenet that you will live as long as other people remember you and therefore your your deeds are are what is important that is your legacy i think is just i don't i don't think there's anything more fundamentally important in anything than that <laughs> and hats off hats off to the people of Mexico for making that a central tenet of their culture um, I just think it's a wonderful wonderful message and especially a film ostensibly aimed at children goes to show and the, I think the reaction of children and adults alike to this film goes to show that really children are perhaps better placed to tackle that kind of subject matter than we are as adults um, and I think it was quite a, in a many ways quite a brave move on Pixar's part to tackle that as a as a topic and the style in which they've done it I think is absolutely laudable and um, as, as someone who's uh, not, not particularly concerned by death in general <laughs> It, I think I was quite blasé about it going in, and then I thought, you know, I was I was left absolutely reeling by the the sentiment and the emotion and the uh, the essential truth of the message that this film, which is ostensibly marketed as a children's <laughs> film, um, brought brought to bear. And I just think, I think it reminded me of how cynical I was being. And um, I just what a wonderful film! Just what a wonderful, lovely, lovely. Maybe maybe this is my favourite film of the year now that we talk about it. <laughs> I'm rambling now. Yes, I think perhaps before we go on to the rest of it, I think we should probably make the standard disclaimer by this point is that I don't think any of us have seen as many films as we would have loved to have seen in 2018. Uh, so oh, I've been to the cinema movie. twice, Scott, yeah. that I can think of. <laughs> Actually, not that I can think of. I can remember the last thing I saw at the cinema, and I can't think... Was Pad- Paddington 2 wasn't this year, was it? I think that was last year, yeah. Wow, I might only have been to cinema <laughs> once, once this year. So, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, Drew, we've we managed a bit more, but still not as many as you'd like. 
I would say, however, having gone through a few uh, best of the year lists just before this, a lot of the things that would be perhaps expected to be on this list we have seen and will probably fall into this disappointments category a bit later on. But yeah, there's there may be well be a number of things missing from it. But um, even bearing that in mind, uh, Drew, would you perhaps like to pick another one off your list of faves for the year? Yeah, uh, a film I was looking forward to for quite a while is Isle of Dogs. Yes. I love Wes Anderson. It is a Wes Anderson film that I love. <laughs> um, it, it is a, a particularly Wes Anderson-y Wes Anderson film. And so something can very much turn people off. But I just found it delightful. I loved the animation. I liked the way it looked. The voice acting was great. It was funny and whimsical and a bit odd and just genuinely fantastic. Yes, I agree entirely. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yes, I, I agree so entirely. I don't really have anything else to add up. But yes, it's a, it's a really great and one of my favourite Wes Anderson films from the outset. So yes, very good. Very good. Um, I guess I'll, I'll contribute one film that we've not spoken about yet. It will be the next podcast you hear. Um, but oh. there's a film called Utoya, 22nd of July, which is a harrowing, harrowing experience. And I guess you'll we'll hear more of that in 10 days. But it's perhaps the most remarkable experience I've had by a, a piece of film in the whole year. It is absolutely, yeah, it is just dreadfully harrowing. We'll speak more of that next time. Is, but, is uh, this yes, the Greengrass joint? It is no, not. No, is it the Norwegian one? Norwegian one. Okay. Yes. Now, the Greengrass one, as we'll get onto as well, also it's quite good. Right. But but yeah, the, the Utoya 22nd to dry is, uh, is just uh, mind-bendingly disturbing on a number of levels. And uh, you know, if it weren't for uh, the fact that it was based in reality, it would be the most effective horror film that's ever been made. Um, yes, terrifying um, film. <laughs> I, again, well, as it's... Podcast that will be out soon, as Scott says. I'm not going into too much depth in it just now. This wasn't so much in my absolute best of the year, Scott. It's a, a sort of I created a subcategory of of really interesting for one reason mm-hmm. or another. Yeah, and this is certainly in there. Uh, it's and just uh, briefly cover it. It's, uh, it's about the shootings of um, or the murder of 77 people by Anders Breivik in between Oslo and the island of Toya in 2011 but whereas for instance Paul Pagoongrass he says a very conventional take on this this is shot as a single take of, and only from the victim's point of view mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, it's really really interestingly done really deeply affecting and spot on Scott as you say that if this wasn't real it's got all the trappings of a horror film and the tension and that genuine fear, which is an incredibly rare thing for me to feel in a film. But it's the, the really, the genuinely scary thing is that this is real. The, there's a bit of artifice in the character that the film falls for the most part, but it is based on real testimonies of people who were there. And it's just, it's so incredibly tense, really interesting. I've not seen anything quite like it I can think of. Yeah, uh, that's exactly why it's on my list here. Um, there are obviously many films we'll get to that are much more enjoyable on, on a number <laughs> yes. of levels, but uh, as just a remarkable piece of cinema. This is the most, it's, it's got to be the most original thing I've seen this year, at least in terms of the effect. There's one contender, I suppose, with that, which we'll get onto, but uh, yes, it's a, it's a hell of a piece of filmmaking. Right, after, after a brief sojourn through IMDb earlier I realised that I didn't see Blade Runner 2049 this year I saw that last year which in in and of itself terrifies me somewhat in relation to the passage of time. The only film which I have seen this year which has certainly stayed with me in the sense that I even remember it but thankfully it was uh, a phenomenal experience was um, First Man 
what a piece of filmmaking. I think um, Damien Chazelle, I'm I'm really excited to see what he does next. And I think his output so far has been really u- unique in how far he's spread his net in terms of um, genre and style, but quite how quite how closely knit his films are by absolutely his understanding of emotion and how to convey that through the medium of cinema. I don't think there's anyone else quite like him working at the moment. Um, And whereas, obviously, Whiplash, which I think was his debut feature, right? A very audacious, very audacious um, entrance (laughs) manoeuvre, followed up by La La Land, and then now with First Man, essentially a biopic of um, Neil Armstrong throughout his time on the Apollo uh, programme beginning with the passing of his daughter and culminating with his um, eventual successful landing on the moon. I hadn't experienced anything quite like it in a cinema for a while. Now, I wasn't um, party to the IMAX version of this. We didn't get a chance to go and see it in IMAX. However, just in standard presentation, a, a really uniquely physical experience if that makes any kind of sense and I think we might have spoken about this in the, the, the podcast previously but the the film has a really unique tone that conveys better than any other film I think on the topic has actually just how sort of nuts and bolts and sort of piecemeal certain elements of the space programme were and, and just what it was that these men were subjecting themselves to um, every time that a flight was taken. I don't think I don't think another film um, or even documentary that I've watched has necessarily conveyed quite so effectively the risk involved and the gamble that these people were taking. It's one thing to say that the life expectancy of a test pilot on the Apollo program or sorry the test pilots going into the Apollo program was something like 50% that sounds essentially or it feels essentially meaningless this is the first film that really brought it home for me in in some sense and it's the way that that Chazelle handles the the emotional aspect of the film and people have taken obviously exception to certain elements of the film um, and the ending or certainly not not the absolute ending, but um, one of the events that is portrayed when Armstrong is on the moon. Um, some people have taken exception yes, to it's definitely the emotional, the emotional climax. Cli- yes, it, absolutely, mm-hmm. an emotional climax of the film is a point of contention for some people. There is a great deal of debate depending upon who you speak to as to whether or not this is actually what happened. The majority would be on the side of no. Armstrong's biographer, upon whose work the film is based, um, from the best I can ascertain, is not something that Armstrong discussed with him, but he has said, he has stated that he is very confident that Armstrong took something with him um, that he left behind, and it's not a real stretch um, to suggest that the film might have some proximity to the to the truth in that sense regardless of that in terms of the movie being a portrayal of a man in a moment in history and his place in a moment perhaps perhaps at this point um the the absolute pinnacle of human achievement um it is a wonderfully affecting piece for the you know for the most part it's delivered with a great deal of of economy and focus much closer to much closer to whiplash in sense in, in the sense of people in pursuit of excellence and the overall tonality of the film but again a completely different subject matter it's handled incredibly well and it's got an absolute 
punching the 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 gut of an emotional element uh, at various points that really that that really grounds it in emotion rather than fantasy, which just made it um, incredibly compelling. And I can only imagine what this must have been like watching it in IMAX um, and experiencing sort of something slight, slightly closer to the the physical aspect of uh, the the rocket program than you might have garnered in the, uh, <laughs> the standard presentation, which was which was already incredibly tense. Um, I'm not sure I wanted to feel any more like I was inside uh, a rocket <laughs> next to those guys, but um, just a just a just a really wonderful piece of filmmaking that that speaks to Chazelle's sort of burgeoning confidence, and I suspect his best film is still in him. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, what's perhaps most striking about the film is it manages to create an awful lot of drama from people trying to deal with things with as little as drama as possible. Yes. Um, so it's, uh, and I think a lot of people kind of mistook that for it being a bit dull, um, which I, I've heard that occurring a few times. I don't get that. That's insane. Are, are you watching a different film? But um, yeah, I, I, again, really liked that one. Really liked uh, First Man and uh, likewise this uh, Chiselle fella's got some talent in him so very interesting to see what he does next another one from me I think perhaps perhaps for Drew this will fall more into the uh, interesting category but in, in terms of just being an outright remarkable film that nonetheless I enjoyed despite itself is Mandy uh, the Nick Cage joint which is just in, in many ways a, a, a real baffling experience for, for on, a, on a great number of levels but uh, Despite its incredible strangeness, I, I, I managed to enjoy it, despite not really knowing quite what to make of it for pretty much all of the runtime I was watching it and the couple of months it's been since then. But it's still a film that I keep coming back and thinking about, even if it's uh, something I'm not quite sure I know exactly what it is or was or was trying to say. But it's a hell of a piece of filmmaking, so it's got that going for it. Yeah. Um, I wonder why you say that, for me, it would actually be... Um in just my interesting part of Scott because because it's a film you say that you hate and just yes, love because it's not in my interesting section and in my notes I made for tonight of films that I liked and didn't <laughs> like this is under my worst films of the year <laughs> it is however also under my best films of the year <laughs> yes because it is both the best of things and the worst of things I honestly don't know which is more accurate <laughs> because yeah, Linus Roach's character is so uninteresting and Mm. Really, it's a visual nightmare, and there's just so much nonsense in this that doesn't make a lot of sense or has no purpose at all. Yet, at the same time, it has enough uh, Nick Cage doing enough cocaine to kill a small horse, <laughs> um, and uh, ridiculous visuals, and just incredible amounts of fun of Nick Cage being, well, full on Nick Cage. Quite the <laughs> thing to behold, really, because full on Nick Cage is quite the thing. Yes. Um, it's an odd film. Um, it's really, but it is one of my favourite films here. But I could no way describe it as a good film. But <laughs> it was a particularly strange thing to say. I know, but it's <laughs> let's say it's deeply entertaining. Yes, um, frustrating in many ways. Um, but yes, it's certainly very, very entertaining because, well, Nick Cage, <laughs> full Nick Cage. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about Nick Cage later. Right, so I guess it's false to me again. Yes. One thing I would mention is then, I think one of the few non-fiction films, possibly the own. Oh no, there's a couple that I might mention later. One of the few non-fiction films that came out here, which is a documentary called Faces Places, mm-hmm. 
which I just found the loveliest, most charming thing I've seen in quite some time. It's I mean, the idea of it's fairly simple. It's the very famous French New Wave director Agnes Varda is travelling around France with a famous French photographer and well, a photographer stroke street artist, I guess you would say, Scott. Yes, right. yes. Um, and they're just, you know, travelling around rural France trying to find interesting places in interesting place interesting faces in interesting places, hence the name. There's a little bit of the way the relationship between them seems a bit artificial, a bit forced, but for the most part, they just seem that there's just a, a shared passion and respect between them. Really interesting dynamic, and then the, the actual content is fairly slight. But I just found it's wonderfully charming, lovely film that it was just a joy to watch. Yeah, I agree. It's the most good-natured film I've seen all year, and it's just a really easy watch and hugely enjoyable. And um yeah, it's just an interesting project and it's interestingly captured. Um, some bits being a little bit cheesy, um, I can live with because it was just so nice and uh, yeah. hugely enjoyable. And at this point, Ag- Agnes Varda is so badass that at this point in her life, she gets to do whatever <laughs> she wants, all right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Faces Places was definitely on my list. and uh, But thankfully, we're now into the uh, bunch of stuff that I just enjoyed on without having to feel challenged about it on any level. So this is a little bit easier to recommend without having to caveat anything. Um one, I guess I'll say, probably because it was just the uh, one I've just finished up talking about, was uh, Widows, which you'll have heard about in our last podcast. Lovely little combination of a really well-executed heist movie from Steve McQueen, as well as some really, really excellent character work. And I heartily recommend you catch up with that one when you can. I'm going to mention two of it. One, because I'm only going to mention, excuse me, I'm only going to mention very briefly... Um, because it has been out in the United States already, but it doesn't come out here until February, and we'll talk about it in more depth then. But that's Green Book with Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. Just how did you manage to watch that, Drew? Uh, Cineworld Unlimited preview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> no piracy was involved, Peg. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's the unlimited uh, of course not. secret oh. unlimited preview screen a couple of weeks ago. Oh, bonus. So I had no idea I was going to watch. I, I was only, in retrospect, vaguely aware of it because of some controversy surrounding comments that are the word, a word that Vigo Morrison used, but I assume in relation to this film, although I hadn't mm. much. It's sort of like, it almost feels like it's a companion piece to Driving Miss Daisy, but without the the obsequiousness and the, um, the disparate nature of the power between them. It's... Mahershala Ali plays a it's a it's a real life story um, again with the all the caveats that come with that in Hollywood uh, who's a very famous and popular musician in the 1960s and he's getting driven about by a a, a mob thug basically for a kind of low level mob thug uh, from New York who becomes his driver as he drives to the south and has to protect him and the friendship that develops between them and it's definitely edging towards kind of mainstream crowd pleasing but it's just it's beautifully shot it's really well acted it's entertaining it's funny and as opposed to for instance something like Drive Miss Daisy it has the real edge there that that film conspicuously lacked mm. rather than just being worthy oh look is we can feel good about how the racism is gone and stuff and actually no it's, <laughs> it's got much more edge than that but much more worth as well Again, I'll talk more about that later, but certainly if anybody's listening to this in, for instance, the United States, which is already out, if you can get a chance to see it, do so. 
uh, here, I believe it comes out the start of February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Another thing I'll mention just now is A Fantastic Woman, which is a film from Chile about a transgender mm. woman who's got the struggle against all of the problems of people not accepting that she's a woman and the prejudices and bigotry that she faces every day after her partner with whom she was very happy dies unexpectedly uh, the resentment from the family the deeply unpleasant names that she's called uh, the genuine mortal peril that she's in and then just the an incredible central performance from the actress playing the lead role yeah, that one didn't quite click for me. Uh, Fantastic Women falls into somewhat. There's a few, a few films I expected to like, uh, given what I heard about it and uh, the reception, and I didn't. And that was one of them. I don't really recall why it just never really quite clicked for me. Fantastic Women, I'm afraid. Uh, but it's certainly a well put together film, so uh, I can't really recommend avoiding it. In terms of stuff, I would heartily recommend again just just a couple of very enjoyable films. Not particularly complicated films in either regard, but uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. If you like Queen, you'll like this. It's a lot of fun. And, it's a good uh, crowd pleaser. That yes. Film. That's, I really yes. enjoyed that. I considered it didn't quite make my top of the list, Scott, but it was mm. in there for a wee while earlier on this afternoon because yes. it's not without its flaws, but it's just it's just so enjoyable. It's just yes. a really entertaining film, which is yes. a, a big part of the point of cinema. Yeah, so apologies to my uh, credibility, which is now shot, but uh, yes, I liked it, so we'll deal with that. Um, also, the uh, best comic book film of the year, not Black Panther, not Deadpool 2, Sandman and the Wasp, just the most imaginative and the most fun. Not that either Deadpool 2 or the uh, Black Panther were bad, but um, Ant-Man and the Wasp is a little bit more interesting, a little bit more uh, remarkable with what it tries to do with CG and all that sort of stuff, and a bit more human in a lot of regards. Um, certainly much better than the likes of Avengers Affinity War. I've just remembered as well um, that on the, in terms of uh, not necessarily films of the year contenders, but films that I enjoyed very much, uh, Annihilation is worth a mm-hmm. shout out. Well done, uh, Netflix on on that bad boy. I was after after reading Jeff Vandermeer's uh, novel last year. I was a little bit concerned as to how you would adapt something like that for the screen uh, and I have to say, I, th- I think a few people who had read the novel seemed annoyed uh, which is traditionally the case and that it didn't mm. stick all that closely to the book uh, but that is to mistake uh, <laughs> film for being a similar medium to books uh, <laughs> which is not the case uh, and I think in terms of uh, adaptations of um, really sort of out there sci-fi material, I think this was very very well um, accomplished um, and managed to be genuinely unsettling mm-hmm. in the right places uh, and struck a really tonally um, was very true to the experience that I had uh, reading the book so I thought that if you haven't already, I suspect if you're listening to this podcast you probably have but if you haven't already, uh, check it out yeah, 100% agree with that, yeah uh, I mean, actually, it's, for me it's actually sitting right below Coco because uh, if you discount that, it's, it is one of the more remarkable films of the year, uh, but I do probably perhaps need to caveat it and there's a few things that it tries it doesn't quite pull off but um, mm. it's it's hugely affecting in what it does and what it, when it when it gets when it hits what it's aiming for it really hits it um, yes. and uh, yeah there's a few moments of that that will stay with me for an awfully long time um yeah and, and definitely definitely highly recommended it didn't make my best of the year but it was very much in like one of my most interesting films of the year it was mm. in there uh, the the sound design and the 
sort of creature design and even the plant design which is a strange <laughs> it was a visual design of it I really loved that film but I, it wasn't perfect I, I don't think Natalie Portman's all that great an actor and she's really kind of straining herself there um, but it's yeah it's interesting I really liked the way it looked and felt it, it, there's a whole kind of tone to the film that felt quite different from a lot of stuff and that's that's almost that's almost what worried me most about it is that I had a very definite idea in my head of of what Vandermeer was trying to convey and I can mm. assume that most people had the same image in their head that they interpreted it the same way as I did um, but you know you know what they say about um, assumption but my experience then of the film was that tonally and, and visually it was incredibly close to how I felt that material should have been um, or or you know, deserve to be represented and very, very unsettling with it. I think that was, I think that probably must have been the biggest challenge in adapting it for the screen, and mm. uh, uh-huh. it succeeded overwhelmingly well. Uh, just to pop back before I go on, my next choice is Scott to pop back to what you said about the comic book films. Mm-hmm. Certainly, Ant Man was one of the most enjoyable films I've seen this year. It was very slickly produced, but it was a great deal of fun, very entertaining, very funny. Yes, um, I would take issue with your fact about what you were saying about Black Panther because I think Black Panther was bad. I'd enjoy that. <laughs> agreed, agreed, Drew. Yes, I think it was actively well. I don't know bad. It was actively mediocre at best. That's that's what I, I would say about I, it. Yeah, I, w- I won't defend it too much, but I have seen it in sublists really high up on like top ten of the year lists, and I can't see it where that's bent. coming from. It's fine. I enjoyed it, but it's. It's entirely forgettable. Yeah. I think I think people uh, yeah. are being swept up in the sort of social the social import of of what it represents culturally, yeah, which is undeniable to see one hundred percent, and not to diminish with from that. Black people, yes, so um, conspicuous in the centre, and, and that is great. That there's so much value in that. But as a film, I just think it was very good, and I didn't think Michael B. Jordan was good in it, and I just I thought the plot was. Not great, and also Michael B. Jordan's character is called Killmonger, yeah. which we about um, at the start of the year, so I won't do it again. And, and, and anyone who chooses to listen to the nonsense that I spout regularly, anyway, will will know that um, I'm not necessarily um, I'm not necessarily in love with the Marvel franchise, but it, it's not that I actively dislike those those movies for any particular reason. I'm just not a huge fan of of um, comic books and comic book adaptations. Yeah. I think there have been um, a couple of really good Marvel films that I enjoyed and I also concede that actually what I think Marvel have done really well is that there's certainly um, an absolute baseline in consistency of, of uh, what I think an audience can come to expect from a Marvel film. There's there's an absolute sort of minimum level of competency involved mm-hmm. um, but I think that Black Panther probably represents the lower end of that. Um, and if I, I just keeping with the conversation now, I really enjoyed Avengers Infinity War and I can understand why people would not. I really enjoyed it, although I, I still continue to take issue with the fact people saying they were emotionally affected by the end of that think these people are crazy but clearly none of that means anything those are people who need more fresh air Drew but just as for best comic book film of the year I'm not sure yes Ant-Man is thoroughly entertaining but it does have perhaps a bit less than some of them but it does fall into the Marvel formula and suffers a bit from that general lack of visual flair that most of the MCU films have uh, mm-hmm. there's nothing particularly special about how they look yeah 
So I think my favourite comic book film year may actually be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because it looked so distinctive. It was really funny and really touching and quite unlike anything I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I've got to talk very little about it because we mentioned it in our last episode. But yes, yeah, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse was a real surprise to me. I wasn't expecting anything from that film at all. Mm-hmm. I think that may actually be uh, the best thing. I think it may just edge Ant-Man, although I found both very entertaining very funny. Mm-hmm. As for my other films here, I think the other one that I particularly want to mention is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Not without its flaws. It's, just, it's another really strong, really vibrant and really kind of angry but with a real core of humour to um, film from Spike Lee featuring great performance from Denzel Washington's son as well again based on a true story with all of the caveats that comes with for uh, how accurate although by most accounts that film's quite close to what actually happened unbelievably Mm -hmm. the idea of (laughs) a black man infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan with the help from his um, partner I, I just found that film thoroughly entertaining and uh, Spike Lee continues to be one of my favourite filmmakers. Now I've come to the realisation that I've actually seen many Spike Lee films as I thought I'd seen too. Yeah, I, I still need to catch up with that, shamefully, but I'm, I, I'm sure it would form part of this list. Otherwise, it's, uh, it sounds like exactly the sort of thing I would like. Uh, just before we go on to other uh, matters, I guess there's two films in this list that I've not mentioned that I like much more than you two from previous experience on the last podcast, so again not much point revisiting that, but I got a lot more out of Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Sorry to Bother You than I think either of you did. Um, um, no, Scott, um, the very first film I wrote on my list of Best of the Year they went in order, but the very first film I wrote on my Best of the Year was The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So. Oh, well, that's good then, um, yes. <laughs> I've either not expressed myself well or you've misunderstood me, but no, I found it thoroughly entertaining. Um, just I, just uh, I lost uh, some of the sections, I was a bit like oh, that's it, but just other bits made up for it. and the Cohen's mm-hmm. dialogue is amazing. Absolutely. Mo- moments of the Cohen's best, but not the Cohen's best. No, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll take a film that only has moments of the best and no film at all. For oh, yes. It's also not the Lady Killers. Yes. Uh, I suppose a few other things I'll just throw out. A couple of animated films that uh, were in the contention didn't quite make the top 10, but uh, The Breadwinner and Mary and the Witch's Flower, both very nice, yes. uh, very worth watching. Uh, the rest yeah, of them. I, had, I considered both of them as well, Scott. Mary and the Witch's Flower, I think, perhaps suffered a little from being very visually like a Studio Ghibli film without quite the content to match it, but it's mm-hmm. a pleasant experience to watch. Yes. And a couple of films from earlier in the year that were, I think, more of the Oscar contenders. Uh, a lot of these, actually, we'll get to in things that actually quite disappointed me. And I think, Drew, you've got at least an, a bit different opinion on one of these. But uh, I quite liked I, Tonya and Three, Bill- Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I don't think either of them are quite as good as the general reception for them was. But um, I still enjoyed them well enough. I know, in particular, you don't like I, Tonya, but um, quite, I, en- oh, yeah. I enjoyed I, Tonya. I, I don't remember you disliking it, Drew. Um, dislike is strong, but I wasn't particularly impressed. But I didn't, I don't know, I just didn't particularly like the tone of it. I think mm-hmm. to honest, I, I'm starting to remember quite why I wasn't so on board with it. it was, I mean, did, did that quite near the start of the year? I think. I think in part it's the issue I had with it as well, is it plays it very light for a film that is actually about some pretty tragic personal circumstances. Yeah, that's yeah. Really true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, see billboards of Ebbing, Missouri. Fantastic performances. I was really enjoying it. And then just like that end, it's like, mm, yeah, it doesn't fit, yeah. doesn't make, it's so rushed, it doesn't make any sense. And I, the ending kind of spoiled that film for me. Yeah. Not in a kind of stupid twist sort of way, it's more just it didn't fit. 
but Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell were wonderfully watchable for like yeah, yeah. and I, I do agree with that as well but um, yeah I think that the highs kind of outweighed the lows a little bit for me in that one but uh, yeah I still still quite enjoyed it yeah it was, that was soured for me a little bit but again yeah we, mm-hmm. we spoke about that in the, the podcast mm-hmm. yeah um, anything else you want to bring up in the unalloyed best ofs before we go on to perhaps some um, disappointments in let me see in best of no I've mentioned everything that was really my best of of the year a couple of mentions I've sort of created a separate category of of interesting which rather than necessarily good or bad uh, right there there are two but actually we ended up covering them in the same episode earlier this year there are two films associated with religion that were at least interesting one is Apostasy a low budget British film about Jehovah's Witnesses yes it's it's not a great film, but it's just a world I knew so little about. So from that point of view, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. And the director, writer, was a former Jehovah's Witness. Um, so it's just an interesting, a fairly little-known mm-hmm. Christian sect. And the the companion piece to that was First Reformed, yeah. Ethan Hawke, which, again, another film let down by the ending. Yes, it's like it's that it was such a jump, such a stretch to get to that end. I just didn't buy it. Well, I didn't buy that, and the terrible special effects. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ethan Hawke and um, Amanda Seyfried are flying through space Ish. in a 1992 special <laughs> effect for some reason. Sold. Yeah. Briefly, in that kind of, I, I couldn't really. They don't really cut you fit into bad or good. They're interesting is the best one I can think they can think of. Yes, yeah. um, and I'll very briefly. I'm going to basically mention their name because it was it was our last podcast. Um, well, one before, which is the other side of the wind, and they'll love me when I'm dead. Yes, yes, undeniably interesting. And parts of the other side of the wind are interesting. Other parts of it are awful and mental, <laughs> uh, but interesting nonetheless. And the companion documentary to that they love me when i'm dead definitely worth watching and they really should be watched together yes uh, sorry to bother you i did not like a telephone a real chore to watch but in terms of the politics um what craig was talking about a lot with the um african-american filmmakers and just like the idea of butch riley being a new talent to watch out for There's a lot of interest mm. there and i'm not gonna hesitate to mention this because it's so different from the rest but there's a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbour that I watched um, about the very famous United States um, children's TV producer, writer, presenter, Fred Rogers, mm-hmm. who I'd always heard about, but I never had any frame of reference about what it was. Is that Mr Rogers? Mr yes. Rogers, yeah. Okay. Um, Mr Rogers' Neighbourhood. Uh, and it was, it, it feels like one of those films that's going to, um, you know, end with the revelation that no, he was a horrible predator or a child abuser or or something. Is like, but it does seem to suggest that. Oh no, you know all the stories you've heard about Fred Rogers just being this deeply caring, wonderful person. They're all true. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, only, the reason I mention it's been particularly interesting is that um, because I've got no frame of reference, I've I'm aware that he's this well regarded thing, regarded person in the United States, but also with us never having seen it and never being person here i thought i'm not going to get a lot out of it and certainly i'm not getting as much from that as anybody who grew up in the united states watching would have done i just find the 
the documentary quite rewarding because it just just so the passion of this man he's an interesting person and it's like you know what it's quite refreshing to see that sometimes the good people are just the good people there's yeah. no hidden secrets there's yeah. no darkness and i'm just like he was a good guy and he made kids happy and it was lovely we, we need that american figure right now yeah <laughs> yes yes um so it's not it's not like it's a bad film it's just uh, without the previous experience it's kind of not of massive interest to me but at the same time it's interesting that it, because he was not of not interest to me I still found him interesting does that make sense? Yes yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah so that that's definitely worth a watch I think that's on Netflix as well mm-hmm. Yeah uh, just of that list there apart from the stuff we already mentioned I've not seen uh, Won't You Be My Neighbour but uh, I think the other four you mentioned there were all in my uh, almost top ten list so <laughs> it's all very close to that Um can I can I take a run and jump then? In the interest of moving things along, can we talk about mm-hmm. stuff that perhaps disappointed us? Okay, um, yes, I have a bunch of those. Yeah, um, you know what? Most of the things that disappointed me, as I say, I've not seen an awful lot of films. There will be much worse films that we get to talk about um, either in this podcast or the stuff that we just not even considered watching. Uh, but there's a few things that people may have expected to be in the mm. upper echelons of our top ten lists that uh, that really just flopped for me. Uh, a couple of these for me. Um, sorry, Stephen, uh, you were never really here. Didn't click for me at all. Uh, sorry, Drew, Fantastic Women just didn't click for me at all. Uh, Ladybird, nope. Um, sorry, Cole, Zamba just didn't work for me either. Uh, didn't get a lot of that. And also The Post, Phantom Fred, and The Shape of Water. I do have one big disappointment, but that's my short list of the things that were I would have expected to really enjoy, but as it turns out, just for whatever reason, they just didn't quite work for me. Phantom, Th- Phantom yeah. Thread I, rel- I, I quite enjoyed. Um, I will say that The Shape of Water was a huge disappointment if I, if I talk about things yep. that actually disappointed me because I had expectations of them then I yeah. think The Shape of Water and also um, I think the first sign of Netflix taking an absolute certified knock on the head was um, the Cloverfield paradox um, <laughs> <laughs> that's in my worst of the year rather than yeah. yes <laughs> yes um, it's all it's all relative below this line um <laughs> but then uh, there are there are a couple of other films that fall into a category i have that are should have known better than to get my hopes up uh there's one of them that i expect suspect all three of us are going to share and that would be hereditary um never again am i going to take anyone's advice especially anonymous online strangers when they suggest to me there's such a thing as a as a great modern um, uh, horror movie um, and into that same category will fall the critically lauded and audience favourite uh, A Quiet Place which was absolute bunkum. I had an argument <laughs> with a colleague recently who watched it um, against my advice and absolutely loved it and had the absolute audacity to say to me your problem Craig is that you obviously can't suspend your disbelief I'm, I'm sorry, on what are you basing that statement? I can provide you with any number of examples of films that I love that require a massive amount of suspension of disbelief. All that I ask of a film is that it respects its own internal plot logic, which this film <laughs> certifiably does not. Get in the scene. <laughs> a Quiet Place is a film that I thought I really, really enjoyed until I 
can uh, edit the conversation with you in the podcast, Craig. I was like, oh, wait, I realise I don't like this my, anymore. My, my work this year is done. <laughs> the only reason A Quiet Place is not in the bottom of my list of films they've seen this year is I forgot I'd seen it this year and thought it was 2017. But yes, yes. it was pish. I, I, <laughs> I can't go in the bottom of my list because I enjoyed it enough the first time I watched it before I spoke to Craig about it. I, I think perhaps on more than one occasion on this podcast, I have stated that I will gladly watch Emily Blunt do her shopping or do or just like cook something for, for hours or read the phone book. I have slightly changed my position on that. <laughs> Mary Poppins does look awful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, right. Uh, for me, in terms of deception, oh, sorry, I've, I've read it in Spanish. And um, in terms of disappointment, before we get to the absolute worst of the year, although mm-hmm. Craig has mentioned my worst of the year, Sicario um, <laughs> Two, Electric Soldier Lou. <laughs> the first film was just so good. Talking of Emily Blunt, actually, yeah. the first film was so yeah. good, so tense, and the second one is utterly pointless. Yep. Mm. And again, talking of recommendations from social media and anonymous people on the internet and things, the night comes for us. Yeah, I, I was yeah. So, I was saving that as my single worst disappointment of the year because I was so in the mood for a high impact, uh, really crunchy action crunchy kung fu film, martial arts film. Yeah. absolutely. And th- yeah, this too. this was sort of what it was hyped as, and it just didn't deliver on any front. And yeah, it was no, quite um, disappointing. I'd- and yeah, also, who's that woman? And why is that woman? It's still slogging to work this out. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, keeping on with this point, again, and I know um, Scott liked a great deal more than me, but um, I'd heard so much stuff, good stuff about Upgrade, and there were bits <laughs> about Upgrade I really liked, but I just I found the as a whole massively disappointing and mm. disappointed that I'm disappointed. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel disappointed for you. Uh, and having looked forward to The Predator for quite some time, thinking it's written directed by Shane Black, oh. really, The Predator's awful, mm. um, and, I'm so, and that's a massive disappointment. Scott has already mentioned Zama. I really like that director's previous works. I thought, and, and there are bits of it that look incredibly beautiful, but as a whole, the film was just, eh, no. Mm-hmm. Very disappointed by that. And because it's from um, or a co-production on the same studios that did a lot of Makoto, Makoto Shinkai, yeah, Makoto Shinkai of, of your name fame, um, same studio that worked with him for for Flavors of Youth. Uh, I'd been looking forward to that a lot because of that, and the film is meh. It's like, weren't noodles better in the past? <laughs> oh no, that's all the film's got to say. Okay, great, brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then yeah, ones other people have mentioned already: Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro. Very hit and miss, but like, there's so much hype around that film, and it's meh. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly meh, that film. I think there are so many elements of that film that are comparable to um, that sort of magical realism um, tone of something like Pan's Labyrinth. And when you see, when you think about how accomplished that film is and, and quite how spectacular yeah. that is as a movie, it's quite... I don't know, my... I, I worry that I'm missing something because to me that uh, The Shape of Water was so spectacularly misjudged and, and any time I watch Michael Shannon on film and think man you look like you're you're acting like you don't want to be here that's like an, that's an alarm bell for me a bad Michael Shannon performance or a, a Michael Shannon performance that feels forced it's a terrible alarm bell to hear and I just think to myself how how can how can you have two movies of a similar sort of nature be so diametrically opposed in terms of quality but an, enough people seem to 
feel that um, it, it is a fantastic Oscar-worthy movie that um, I'm perfectly uh, willing to accept that. I may be wrong, but um, I just I just don't. That, perhaps more than any other film this year, is the film that I just don't get the reaction to. No, I, I don't see how that's special at all. No. Um, did that not win Best Picture? Did it? It possibly did. I think it might have done. Yeah. I'm not absolutely annoyed. I, I don't pay a lot of attention to it, but I think it. I might think you might be right, actually. Um, and yeah, it's, just, it's not a bad film. It's just, but it was massively disappointing. The one other really disappointing film I'll mention, which also is probably in my worst of the year, but I'm sort of separating the disappointment is Mute. Oh yeah, because yeah, Duncan Jones. I was really looking forward to this, and it's well, it's terrible. It's terrible and pointless, and what is going on with Justin Theroux in that film? It's so strange. <laughs> what did you think of Mute, Scott? Mute, I, I don't think if I remember rightly, I hated it quite as much as Drew did, but um, yes, it's not particularly good, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It was very much a waste of two hours and a real disappointment from uh, g- given the director that it's coming from. Yeah, no, by no means a recommendation and one of the low points of the year. Yeah, certainly. We've already mentioned uh, a couple of the films that I hated <laughs> this year in terms of A Quiet Place and Redditary. Not yeah. really, uh, going into much more. Um, there are two others that I also loathe, uh, one of which uh, perhaps I'll leave for Drew because I'm sure he hates it too. But um, yeah, Halloween, I do not understand what anyone saw on Halloween. It's an awful film. And uh, yes. Oh, just, no, just I kind of wanted you to catch up with that. I mean, I'm not going to stop you, but it's terrible. <laughs> oh. Drew, anything sinking your ship this year? Yes. Um, I got a couple of mentioned. Mandy, best of the year, first of the year. Uh, Greg's also already mentioned the Cloverfield Paradox. That is in my worst yes, of the year. Cause it's absolutely. Just, it's terrible. It's nonsensical. It's ridiculous. Um, Deadpool 2 is appalling. It's achingly unfunny. I mean, it was... I thought if the original film was at best okay, um, the second one, because it made me angry, it was so poor. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind it that um, much, but it's definitely it's a step down from the first one. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't so in love with the first Deadpool. I mean, I thought it was okay. I have no intention of watching it again. Yeah, it I, was okay. I probably would have checked out too, because I think uh, Zazie Beats seems hyper cool, but I, I'm guessing side, from this it's not worth it. And plus, side, if you do want to watch Deadpool again, you can watch Deadpool 2, because it's the same thing again. So really? that's good. <laughs> To get hurt. The worst film of the year was Hereditary. It's appalling. It's mm-hmm. stupid. It's incredibly poorly acted, especially by Tony Clay, who's getting all this points for for great acting. This is the worst performance I've seen from anybody in a long time. <laughs> um, and her ridiculous eyes when she's sawing her. Yes, head I was going to say the, the cheese wire. The cheese wire, but yeah, yeah. and the bit um, where she 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 flails across through the through the air behind someone at some point later in the film. I can't remember, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be like one of those shock moments, like when the alien pops across in the background in the home video and signs, and it just looks <laughs> absolutely <Yeah>. ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> And ludicrously not scary. No, as as I said, look, I'm predisposed um, uh, as a fully functioning um, grown adult. Yes, I, I know there's no such thing as the supernatural. There's no such thing as ghosts. I, I, I don't concern myself with that in a day-to-day way. But I do like a good supernatural yarn. And I have a tendency to watch these things alone at night <laughs> and let my imagination run riot. And I've found myself generally more susceptible to being unsettled by these things. And probably it's safe to say 
say either of either of you two guys, despite despite my rationality. Um, and so I I think we discussed this in the podcast. I watched Hereditary. At, started watching it about midnight in a scarcely occupied hotel where I was on my own in a strange town that I'd never been to before. I felt the most isolated I had in a long time. I you were, you were a caretaker. It was winter. It was snowed in. <laughs> I was snowed in. Yes, exactly. I asked my wife, what exactly should we do with Danny? Uh, she had no good answer. Um, I, I should have been the most predisposed that I've ever been to being freaked out by something. And at points, by one o'clock in the morning, I was openly laughing at this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I laughed at the ridiculousness of it, Craig. The ridiculousness of it, Craig. But I also... Um, there, there's a bit, and I mentioned this when we talked about it earlier in the year, that it's meant to be clearly horrific and it's, oh, yes. it's a crucial point for the for Tony Collette's character. Yes. And at which you realise that the film you were sold by the trailer is not the film you're going to get. Yeah, and this tragedy happens to this child and I pissed myself laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, uh, the one other film, the only film that could come close to challenging mm-hmm. Hereditary for worse from the year, is I suspect the one Scott Yes. Uh, was referring to when he was going to I'll leave it to Drew Apostle yep <laughs> what a <laughs> show <laughs> pointless incredibly boring utterly baffling nonsensical weird anachronistic odd terrible 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 film yes yeah five stars Paul Ross <laughs> <laughs> but I recognise the king's assassin because of the dagger <laughs> I agree completely and we've probably hit that one enough in the episode where we discussed it yeah, it's just absolutely awful and I don't understand why anyone would like it um, uh, afford it not to the oxygen of this publicity <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, we did have some feedback on the old Twitters that uh, send out some requests to see what your guys' best and worst of the year. So we had a few responses back in that one. So uh, just to uh, crack those up, uh, Stephen Nelson, kind of referred to that a bit earlier on Twitter, at Scott Sactor, his best of the year were Hostile, First Man, You Were Never Really Here, so again, sorry, and Upgrade. Uh, the Hostiles is the Western with Christian Bale. Correct, I've not seen it. I haven't got around to watching to. yet, actually, but I really fancied seeing, but I simply haven't seen it yet. Yes, worst, which I think we're all on board with, Cloverfield Paradox. Yep, that was sucks. Yep. <laughs> you are most, not wrong, Stephen. <laughs> and most disappointing, Shape of Water and Outlaw King. Um, I've not seen Outlaw King. I'm not going to that either yet. No. I may get to it. It may not be most disappointing, because I'm not really expecting very much from it in the first instance, but I, I'm interested enough to give it a go. Yeah, there's, um, there's a guy I know um, called Nolan, who I follow on Twitter, and he just... Uh, I'm slightly worried about that film now, because... He was um, tweeting while watching it, uh, maybe the day it was released on Netflix, and said that Robert the Bruce was using Thistle as um, part of foreplay and now he's basically <laughs> cringed into the shape of a coat hanger. He's cringed so hard at how awful What that the hell was, was he doing that for? That's my game. <laughs> You've got um, to keep it rolled. <laughs> so I, I admit I'm kind of worried about Outlaw King um, and... 
just the other th- shape of water I'm similarly massively disappointed by that mm-hmm. I think all three of us were it seems the danger I think with um, the whatever it is King what's it called again Outlaw King the Outlaw King is that is, is, um, obviously anytime anything like that around Scottish history is portrayed in, on screen is that we are likely to, liable to take personal offence <laughs> unless everything is portrayed 100% accurate like and the accents are spot on and it's probably quite difficult to remove ourselves from that I'm just not engaging with it because I can't imagine I've not heard anything to suggest it's a fantastic film that's worth my time so the best case scenario there is that I'll be mildly disappointed um, <laughs> why, why would I bother um, yes and just to round things off the Magic Lantern on Twitter at Lanterncast fairly sure this is a call uh, Zama and Burning were the two big standouts for me of this year uh, we've discussed Zama unfortunately don't quite share that opinion Burning I don't think actually gets a proper release here until next year for us I'm not even uh, aware of it South Korean film uh, looks interesting I will definitely endeavour to seek that one out it's been doing the um, festival circuits but I don't think it's hit okay. our shores yet for any sort of limited release yet which I think yeah. is getting in February maybe uh, I know that Cole, like me, had been really looking forward to Zama. Um, unfortunately, he found it rewarding and I just found it disappointing. It's mm-hmm. I like that director's other work and I was just, mm-hmm. I was really hoping for something. And I think I mentioned when we covered it earlier in the year that I, I will give it another go because there are bits of it that I, f- I want to like it more. Yeah, um, There's enough of interest in it that makes me want to watch it again. And certainly some of the, the photography, I think we both... Oh, yeah, it's absolutely got, beautiful, yes. Yeah. Some of the photography is it, just stunning. But as a as a film... And I, and I mentioned earlier in the year two, I don't like existentialist work all that much. Mm. And that's perhaps the problem. But it's just, I wanted to like it a lot more. And it's just, it's no, it's, it's not great. It's not bad. It would be really unfair to call it bad. Uh, but very much there's a good reason it was in my disappointment category um, for this end of year roundup. Is that the last of our Twitter feedback? Correct, yes. yes. Can I, on, on that note then, just before we round off, can I just say that anyone who has been attempting to interact with me, I'm not being rude, I have deleted my Twitter account and I feel a lot better for it. Uh, I am now, I, last month I think I did it and uh, I am now past the point where I think I could even possibly recover it if I wanted to. Uh, so I'm I'm not being rude. My my profile has, uh, has diminished for a reason. Does that conclude our broadcast day? Eh? It, I think it does. I think it does. Uh, so, uh, yes, thanks very much for your attention. Uh, we will be with you very soon with another podcast. Um, no matter how terrible 2018 has been to you or how good 2018 has been good for you, we hope that 2019 is much better and we hope to provide you with a number of entertaining film podcasts throughout that time period uh, until such time if you want to get in touch with us you can do uh, please do on Twitter at FudsOnFilm on Facebook that's facebook.com slash FudsOnFilm or through the emails on podcast at FudsOnFilm.com and uh, yeah until next time take care of yourself and each other goodbye bye hasta luego bye